Good morning again, everybody. Let's see here. Looks like Dave and Angie has got children's church this morning, so all the kids 12 and below want to head over for that, uh, for children's church. And if you want to mark in your hymnals while they're heading over, number 344, Come Unto Me, we'll use that as our hymn of invitation this morning. Looking group headed over, and let's not forget if you uh, if you have a uh, an interest uh, in helping out with the children's church, uh, certainly voice that interest. All righty, well it's good to see everybody. If you're logging into Facebook or to YouTube or visiting with us this morning, we want to welcome you here. And uh, if you're looking for a church home, we'd like for you to consider Locust Grove. We'd love to have you as part of our family. It's always a privilege for me to stand here and, and share God's word with you uh, week to week and as we all grow and grow closer to the Lord is the hope. Uh, I will occasion get on to Facebook if there's nothing if there's nothing on TV worth watching and the Reds is Reds is getting beat. Uh, I'll flip up the computer and look at those reels. You people that use Facebook a lot know what I'm talking about. There's some pretty good videos on there, pretty funny stuff. And uh, I've noticed in the past few months the increase in Bible prophecy videos that's being shown on there. And I usually watch those just out of curiosity. I want to see what they're saying, and I want to I usually check them for accuracy according to what the Scripture says, and and listen to them. And and for the most part, they're accurate and. Uh, uh, it's it's interesting to me that uh, how much it has increased. So that tells me that people are seeking out and asking uh, themselves, is Jesus getting ready to come back? And it's no wonder, is it? Considering the things that we see going on around the world, not only with mankind, but with nature as well. Uh, the earthquakes and the severity of the weather and, and the things that are going on just like the Bible says that it will. Of course we know the depravity that we're seeing uh, in our nation and, and probably around the world. We don't get those kind of reports but we know what's going on here in America. And here recently sadly all of the shootings that's taken place in our nation. Well, I was watching the news last night and uh, they had a statistical expert on one segment and they asked this uh, person about the gun violence. As a matter of fact, that was their only job is that they studied statistics on gun violence in America. And her conclusion was that due to the increase in the sales of firearms or the purchase of firearms, therefore you had more shootings. Well, and they asked her point blank well, what was the, what's the cause of these shootings? And she mumbled a couple of things, but no clear answer. And I thought about that. Uh, as you know, I am not a statistical expert. I did not stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night, so I don't ex try to make you think I am. But if I was thinking about trying to answer that question to people, why is it that gun violence has increased so much within our nation? I think that I would probably go back to a time, a point in the history of this nation when it was not prevalent. 
And then I would say, okay, I'm going to start from this year or this decade, and I'm going to move forward, and I'm going to, I'm going to track what has changed in the society. Because it's not like guns are now more available than they used to be because you've always been able to buy a gun in the United States. But there is something that has changed. When I, friends of mine was talking not too long ago, a few days ago, it never fathomed. I never fathomed. We never dreamed. Ever even the thought entered our mind to bring uh, our guns. And we all at 12 year old had a gun because we all squirrel hunted. And we all would talk about going home and squirrel hunting and coming back and finding out who had killed the most squirrels that day. None of us thought about bringing our guns to school and shooting somebody. So there's something that's changed in America. And if I was that statistics person, I'd, like I said, I'd go back and I'd find, so I began to think, and you know where this is going most likely. Our nation is seeking out answers. Why? How can we stop all this gun violence? Well, let's go back to a time when we hadn't kicked God out of our schools. When we hadn't kicked prayer out of the schools. When we hadn't demanded the removal of the Ten Commandments from our schools in all public view. Let's go back to that time when it was not so prevalent and realizing that morality, according to God's word, was a little more in effect then. It was taught more. Families went to church more. Things were different because God was in the home more. Let me uh, give you just a couple of quotes that I think are real important. Let us with caution indulge the supposition that morality can be maintained without religion. Reason and experience both forbid us to expect that national morality can prevail in exclusion of religious principle. And then also this same man said it is impossible to rightly govern a nation without God and the Bible. And if you can't read that, that should be George Washington said both of those and many other quotes as well. If we had a president stand before the, the news cameras, the TV cameras today, what kind of outcry do you think that would cause? Those two statements from the first president of the United States. How much in arms would people be? And I'm not talking about that, and that I have some kind of uh, image in my mind that we never had violence in the 70s. It was there, no doubt. But we knew as children what was, we was being brought up, what was right and wrong according to God's word, not according to what society said was right and wrong. So my suggestion, and of course it's probably not going to fall on too many years, probably half a dozen on YouTube and maybe that many more on Facebook, so not likely this is going to, suggestion is going to get out wrong in the right ears. But how about since we've tried to kick God out of everything, that we invite God back into our lives? Amen. Let's invite God back into our schools. Bible release, that's why it is so important that Bible release continue on and on and on and on in generations as long as we're allowed to do that. Because that is the only way that we can get God's word to students legally, so to speak. 
So let's continue to be in prayer for that. So here we are. Let's think about embracing God instead of ungodly evil in our nation. And that begins in the home. That begins in the home. It begins by bringing your children to church, having them in Sunday school where they're being taught the beginning basic lessons at a level that they can know and understand. And those lessons continue to be taught year after year at a higher level or every couple of years. They begin to hear the same lessons, but it goes a little deeper so that they can understand. And by the time that they get up to an adult level, they have a, a, a much better understanding of God's word and his morality. That's what this nation is missing. Even I think the non-believing would have to acknowledge that we were a different country when we sought after to please God by at least just having his Ten Commandments posted in our schools. We have the copy or two from, from Kiwi School here in the building that were taken down. And the school system did not want to throw them away, thank goodness, and they give them out to churches for safekeeping. Well, we still have ours here, and I would be proud to walk and put it back in to Kiwi Elementary. So let's be in prayer for things like that to happen. And let's begin to recognize who, who will help us as Christians to move this nation forward. Because we're going to look at a question today that was asked. If you want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles into Luke chapter 17, back where this all started was, you know, people were asking about, is it time for, is, is, are we in the end times? Well, the answer to that question is yes, we are in the end times. And we've been in the end times since really basically Christ was resurrected. But I want us to begin, and we'll look for the next two or three Sundays beyond this, at this question, Luke 17, verses 20 through 37. And this is a passage where the Pharisees asked Jesus about this kingdom that he was preaching about. And I'll read and just listen and listen to what Jesus says about, in this passage, about the latter times. And when he was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation. Neither shall they say, Lo here or lo there, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. And he said unto the disciples, The days will come when you shall desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you shall not see it. And they shall say to you, See here or see there. Go not after them, nor follow them. For as the lightning that lighteneth out of one part of under heaven shineth unto the other part under heaven, so shall also the Son of Man be in his day. But first must he suffer many things and be rejected of this generation. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, also, as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus it shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day, he which shall be upon the housetop 
and his stuff is in the house, let him not come down to take it away. And he that is in the field, let him likewise not return back. Remember Lot's wife. Whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. I tell you, in that night there shall be two men in one bed, and one shall be taken, and the other shall be left. Two women shall be grinding together, and the one shall be taken, and the other left. Two men shall be in the field, and one shall be taken, and the other left. And they answered and said unto him, Where, Lord? And he said unto them, Wheresoever the body is, thither will the eagles be gathered together. So we see him beginning to open up and tell us not only about the present time that he was about to suffer immediately, but also in the coming times. And the exact accuracy of the judgment. So to answer this question that I posed earlier, and something that I think that we all need to more than acknowledge but just believe and apply it to our lives so that we may live our lives in a better way is that his time grows closer. The time for Jesus' return grows, grows closer each and every day. And I think that's a certainty. And I want to look at what Jesus is teaching about here. First, in verse 22 of Luke 17, Jesus says his coming will be desired. The day will come when you shall desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you shall not see it. He says this, speaking to disciples who were in the kingdom because they were the only ones who would desire this to come, but now that's changed, isn't it? He says there's going to be days, he says, when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. The Son of Man is a messianic term that is connected to the coming of the Messiah. To establish his kingdom. And it comes from Daniel chapter 7 verse 13. Where Daniel records this. says, I saw in the, the night visions. And behold one like the son of man. Came with the clouds of heaven. And came to the ancient of days. And they brought him near before him. So that's where that son of man term comes from. Back in Daniel. Talks about going to the ancient of days. That's God himself. And what we have to understand is that Jesus, just like he told the disciples, he says, I go to prepare a place for you. And he says, if I'm going, I'm coming back. And that's me paraphrasing. And what we have to understand is God the Father, the Ancient of Days, is there in heaven. Jesus is there in heaven. And someday, and someday sooner than we expect, I believe, God, the Ancient of Days, is going to look at his son and says, son, it's time for you to go back. Jesus doesn't know when that day is. He said that. I don't know what day that is, and I'm not trying to even pretend that I do, but all I want to do is make sure that as many people as possible is ready for that day to come. And that's what we see here. Daniel's seeing this. So do we see how Jesus is kind of tying that second coming to Daniel 7? There's going to come a day. Days are going to come when you will long, when you have a deep desire for Jesus to return. And I kind of understand that. As I get older, I understand a little better about that. That my desire for Christ to return 
increases as I learn a little bit more, as I get a little bit older, and as I watch what's going on around the world and I understand it a little better in the context of what the Bible says. And I understand that. If we look back in Revelations chapter 6, verse 10, Revelation 6, 10 says this, And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true? Dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And that's the folks under the altar. How long is it, O oh Lord, before you're going to come back and, and judge this earth? Condemn evil. How long will it be? And I wonder that myself sometimes. I've said it. I've heard other people say it. How much longer will, will God tolerate the evil that goes on in this world? And that's kind of the same statement. How much longer is time grows closer as time grows closer Jesus and God are being dishonored each and every day He's, God's dishonored even in his own house or places that are called his own house let me, let me clarify that people make a mockery we have false prophets that are out there deceiving people and when you think about the coming of Christ it's not about me. It's not about me, and it's not about you. It's not about I want my reward, I want to go to heaven. It's about loving God and loving his holiness and his righteousness so much that it makes you sick to see people trample on it. And that's what we're seeing day by day. It increases the mockery. And I hate it for God. I hate it for Jesus, my Savior, that people make this mockery. How much longer, Lord, before you're going to come back and, and, and show that you're glory, you're worthy of praise, that you are the Lamb of God, you are the Savior, you are the hope of the world. Because when he does come, we know that every knee shall bow, every tongue will confess that Christ is the Son of God. It's an involuntary thing. And that's what we have to be aware of. And there's a weariness, and I think you understand this. There's a weariness in this world. And the longer you live in it, you understand it better. But Jesus says in verse 22 that we won't see it, or this group won't see it because it'll be delayed. Jesus even goes on in Luke chapter 20, verse 9, and all the other gospels in the, in the parable about the vineyard man who had a vineyard. He went away on a journey for a long time. And you can study that parable. And that's about the second coming. That, that particular parable is about Jesus' return. And it gives us a little more perspective. In James chapter 5, he records this in verse 7. It says, Be patient therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until they, he received the early and latter rain. In Palestine, in Israel, there's really two wet seasons that they kind of base their gardening around. Very dry in between. And that's what he's talking about. You have to be patient because you know it's coming. There is a time, a set, appointed time that's coming, but you just have to be ready and be patient for that time to come. And that's the same way we are. We have to be ready and we have to be patient because we can know for certainty it is coming. And that's what James records. 
So it's going to be a desired thing. People won't necessarily understand it. Christians should. We should anticipate it. We should look forward to it with love. We love, we long for it. We can't wait for it to happen. And we understand that we're going to want him to be glorified. And we have to understand it's in God's perfect timing. In God's perfect timing. Not, I can't be the judge of that. But there's a specific reason that Jesus has not been sent back. I'll say it that way. And it's going to be visible globally. Looking at verse 23 again, he says, And they shall say to you, See here, see there. Go not after them, nor follow, for as lightning, in verse 24 he says, Lighteth out one part of, under the heaven, shineth unto the other part under heaven, so shall the Son of Man be in this day. You are not going to have to turn on, and I'm not advertising any particular new broadcast. You're not going to have to turn on Fox News to find out if Jesus has come back. You're not going to have to turn on CNN, uh, KYT, WLEX, WTVQ, whatever you watch. You're not going to have to turn on the TV to say, I wonder if that was Jesus coming back, because you're going to know it. He says it's going to be visible globally, and it's all going to be announced. And all the people, and we think about that, even as good as co communication is in, in the world right now today, there is no way that everyone on earth can know the same thing at the exact same moment. But that's exactly what's going to happen when Jesus returns. From North Pole to South Pole, all the way around the globe, every living, breathing human being will know that Christ has returned at the same time. It's not going to be the news broadcast. It's not going to be a breaking exclusive because God will have the exclusive on that. Now, his first coming, how was it? It was quiet, wasn't it? We think about Bethlehem. We knew the wise men, and we supposed three because of three gifts, right? The shepherds, we supposed three or four. That's seven. Of course, you got mom and dad. That's nine, right? And then a few people that they told there in immediacy, and then Herod as well. So what are we talking about? A couple of dozen people the day that Christ was born. Of course, we knew it spread. It spread. But the day that Christ was born, a couple of dozen people really knew about what was going on or knew who Jesus was. Everyone will know when Jesus returns. Everyone will know. And we should be eager to, to see that day. And he says, you know, they're going to tell you, look here, look there. Not to be deceived, he says. Don't go after them. Verse 23. And they shall say, do you see here or see there? Go not after them. Folks, you've got to be careful. You've got to be careful at who you trust your eternity to as far as the scriptures go. The most important person you can trust this to is you and the Holy Spirit. And then make sure that whoever's preaching the word, myself included, it stays in the word. And the truth of the word is what is spoken, not opinion, not some kind of doctrine of someone else, but the word that we see in the scriptures. False teachers, look here, look there. Over chapter 21, verse 8, Jesus says this. We flip over. Take heed that ye be not deceived, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ. And the time draweth near, go ye not therefore after them. No one's going to have to tell you Christ is returning. No one is going to have to tell you that's the trumpet that we're supposed to be hearing. 
We will know it. Don't go after them. Don't go after those so-called messiahs. Matthew 24, 23, same basic warning. Then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. For there shall arise false Christ, false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders inasmuch that if it were possible, they should deceive even the very elect. So there's going to be some good ones. Now, here's something for us to think about technology-wise today. They have got this deep fake and this AI technology now, and you've probably seen it, that they can take a public figure's image and voice and manipulate it to say whatever they want it to say, and you can... You have a really, really hard time telling it apart from reality. I'm just telling you, folks. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm trying to tell you how this lines up where we are today with what's in here. How hard would it be for them to fake anything? If they can take an image of a president or a sports figure and make them say things that they never said and it look like them and it sound like them, and it'd be so convincing that millions and millions of people believe it, how much easier would it be for them to be a false prophet, a false messiah? No one will have to tell you, don't go after him, Jesus says. Lord's at hand. He's coming. We'll know it. What's he saying? What's he saying to us? It's, it's going to be obvious. It's going to be like lightning in the sky. And I've used this example before. In this summer, we'll be able to, they'll be having storms. You'll be watching the storms on the on the weather. Uh, and then show up around Richmond, big old thunderstorms. And you can step out and you can see the sky lighting up. Never hear thunder, never hear the lightning crack. But you can see it. It's going to be that visible. Revelations chapter 1, 7. And I encourage you folks to study your Bibles. Behold, he cometh with the clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they shall they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him, even so, amen. Those that mock him right now, those that ridicule God, those that mock Jesus Christ, those that mock religion. Those that mock the morality of God, they will be pierced with their guilt. says that they will wail, mourn, many of your translations will say. They will mourn. There will be a group of people that will be rejoicing, and there will be a group of people that will be mourning. There will be nobody, and, that, and that's what kind of is the sad thing, is these people think that in their defiance, that they are so resolved in their defiance and that they are so right that they'll be able to withstand the holiness of God whenever he returns. Like they're going to stand in, in front of God and thumb their nose in the air at him and, and proclaim their own righteousness. No, what's going to happen, those people will be mourning because they will know and realize the error of their ways and the sad part is it will be too late. That's why the morning will come. It's not going, oh, I've had it wrong all the time. Well, that's true. It's, they're going to be mourning because it's going to be too late to do anything about it. There's no question that Jesus comes. There ain't nobody 
have to be wondering if it's, if it's him. He's coming back to establish his kingdom. And he will separate those on the left and the right, those that are his and those that are not. Remember? Two men in the field. How many is taken? One. How many is left? Left and right, folks. It's real simple. It's not hard to understand. Jesus didn't make any mysteries about his teaching. Two women will be grinding flour. We all seen videos and pictures of stuff like that where they use a rock to grind corn or whatever. How many is taken? How many is left? Two men that sleep at night. How many is taken? What's that tell us? There are people that are out there that are doing the same things. They're living their lives the same way. If you recall, Jesus even said, so as it was in the days of Noah. What were they doing? Well, they was marrying, and Lot as well. They was marrying, and they was getting engaged, and they was living their life, and they was having feasts, and they was having fun, and they was moving right along, oblivious to the fact that destruction was getting ready to come down upon them. Right up to the time that God shut the door on Noah, and I thought it's interesting, many times we don't think about Lot, says when Lot left Sodom and Gomorrah, do we remember how Lot was left Sodom and Gomorrah? The angels, in my mind, the picture is, they drug him out of there. Him and his wife. Abraham had prayed and prayed and bargained with God for his nephew's life, and he had to drag him out of that place to save his life and didn't save his wife. Remember, it says, remember, he said, don't go back or don't look back because that means that your heart is in the wrong place. Remember where your heart is, there's your treasure. You don't want to be looking back at the things of this world when the kingdom of God is coming because what happened to Lot's wife? She was turned into a pillar of salt, the scripture tells us. Oh, Rob, you really don't believe that. I believe exactly that. I don't think it's metaphoric or anything. I believe the woman is, is a pile of salt somewhere over there. Because that's what God's word says. And that's the thing about it, folks. You have to be a sellout to God's word, all of it. Or none of it. So I believe if we desire to be in this world when Christ returns, that's exactly where he's going to leave us. Because that's exactly what they did with Lot's wife. And they drug her and her husband and two daughters out of that town before it was destroyed. And even God sending angels to drag them out of that town did not save her from the destruction. And that's what we have to understand. We have to stay focused on what our job is and focused on who our Savior is. That's what we learn from this. We're going to desire to see God send Jesus back, not because I'm going to get my reward, I'm going to get my mansion in heaven that we sing about, it's because God's name will be glorified, Jesus will be glorified, and all of this mockery and all of this uh, evil going on around the world will acknowledge Christ as King and God as Lord. That's why we'll desire it. And it's going to be visible. It's not going to be a breaking news exclusive. Everyone's going to know it. Be no doubts. So this is the first of two or three parts as we'll continue to look at this a little bit. Jesus teaching so that we can know to be ready. So and it and you know what? It's not probably not necessary for most people in this room. 
But we all have family and friends, neighbors, that are part of that 50-50 equation that Jesus taught about. I mean, imagine. Imagine if we said it like this. Two were at Laurel Lake fishing. One was taken and one was left. I mean, that's realistic, isn't it? I mean, more so maybe than women grinding corn. Two were shopping at Walmart and one was taken and one was left. Now, when we think about them in those terms, that changes it, doesn't it? Two were standing in the parking lot at Kroger talking. One was taken and one was left. And listen, that's exactly how it's going to be. Exactly how it's going to be. We're going to be going about our regular daily activities. Two was planning for a wedding. One was taken and one was left. And if you go back and you look at the parable of Jesus talking about the bridegroom and the lamps and the ten virgins and trimming their lamps, that's all about the same thing. Waiting for the Jesus to return. And do we remember how many of the virgins with their lamps was prepared and how many was not? 50-50 again. Let me borrow of your oil. Can't. You got to get your own oil to fill your lamp. I can't help you. Because if I give you what I got, then I won't have enough to go. Folks, it's a personal decision that you have to make on your own. And we're going to look at that and the implications of that so that we can know for ourselves, but also that we can encourage those that are outside of Christ that this is real, it's going to happen, it's just a matter of when. And that's the importance of it. It's important that we spread the word, that the things that Jesus taught, the Bible says, are taking place. They've been doing that for a long time. It's important for people to remember that every day that that sun rises is one day closer to Jesus returning. And that's what we have to work for. It's important to every person in this room. And here's, here's a question that's important to everybody in this room that's outside of a relationship with Christ. If you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, you're going to want to be the one that is left. The person sitting next to you may be a Christian. They're going to go. I didn't make the rule. I'll just tell you what the Bible says. But you can fix that. If you have heard the word and you believe it, and you are willing to repent of your sins and confess Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you're willing to be baptized, as the scripture says, for the remission of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit, you're raised in that as a new creation in Christ. Colossians chapter 2. We'll look about verse 12, I think it is. You see how what that does. You're raised that new creation in Christ, and then you're created a new, a new body, a new person, walking forward, serving God however he equips you until he either returns or we're called away. Now, maybe you're a Christian. Maybe you're a Christian and you're understanding what you're seeing going on in the world and what you're reading in your Bibles is starting to line up and you realize through the conviction of the Holy Spirit, not me, I'm not your judge. I'm your encourager. I want you to do good. I want all of us to do good. I want every face that I see right now, I want to see every face in heaven. 
Do you think of things like that? Am I just weird? <laughs> Do you think about that when you when you stand up from here and you turn around to walk out? Have, has it ever occurred to you, man, I want to see every face here. I hope someday every face that I see, and I've tried to look at everybody individually, I want to see everybody here in heaven someday. I want to see them faces looking back at me. All of us going, yeah, we're here. God's great. Wouldn't that be awesome? But what about when we go to Walmart? What about when we go to Kroger? What about when we go to our family reunions? Oh, that hits hard, Rob. Yeah, I got to sometimes. We look across those tables, and we look at those pictures, and when we're gathered around functions and we're opening birthday gifts or whatever, do we look at those same faces and not think, boy, I hope we're able to gather again next year for this and have a good time, but do we think and we look at people and we say, I want to see that face in heaven. I want to see all of my family, those faces in heaven someday. Because that's what God calls us to do. He calls us to make heaven full because that's what Christ would have us to do. So if you're a Christian and you realize, you know what, I'm, I'm not pursuing that and I need to start. Well, today's the day to do that. Repent. Repent both cases. If you're without Christ, repent. If you're with Christ and you realize that you need to change, repent. In either case, if you want to make a decision for Christ today, whether you want to accept him or whether you want to rededicate yourself or make a change, we're going to sing this hymn of invitation, Come Unto Me. And that's what Jesus asked us to do. Uh, come Unto Me, 344, verses 2 and 5. If you have a decision to make, I ask that you'll come as we stand and sing.
such a joy and a blessing that they've come forward. And I've said this before, many times I stood back there 